This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. As I was thinking through, and what does it look like to, to contend on a Sunday morning for why it is that we should be a people of prayer? I was kind of remembering my own story a little bit and uh, just got to give you some of my heritage that has brought me to, to this spot here. And it was in my early 20s. The Lord sent me on a really, really strange journey. Had me drop out of college when I was in Bible school and go spend time in my car learning to need his voice. Now, that sounds kind of silly, like, okay, obviously we all need God. And I knew that, but what I realized was that my entire life I went to God for big things, and I went to Walmart for little things. And I said, God, what would it look like if I went to you for both? For real, that was like legitimately the thought that I had in my head. Like I have always had an easy fallback plan. And what would it look like to put myself in a place where the only shot I had was divinity coming through? Like what if I made myself vulnerable enough to his own reality? And I remember even I got to lead this guy to Christ one time um, in Texas. He actually came up to me outside of a Wendy's and, and uh, asked me what I did for a living. And I said, well, I'm going to have the weirdest answer you've ever heard. I, I live in a van and I pray. And I said, I try to live in such a way that if God's real, I'm good. And if not, I'm in a lot of trouble. His eyes got really big. And he's like, I've been thinking about God all the time. Turned out he'd come up to me outside of the Wendy's to buy weed from me. He said, I just look like the kind of guy that would sell weed, which I don't know how to take that, you know, all things to all people, I guess. That's what I'm hoping the Lord wanted me to learn from. But anyway, like we end up talking about the Lord, I get to lead him to Jesus. It was, it was beautiful. But I remember thinking that, that thought process, like I really want to live that way. I want to live in such a way that if God's real, I'm awesome. And if he's not, I'm in trouble. And I've realized that it's very, very easy, even in a Christian subcultural context, to put myself in a position where if God didn't come through, I've still got plenty of fallback plans set up. So I began asking the Lord what it looked like for him to teach me to live a lifestyle of prayer. And for me, that looked like nearly a decade of being fairly nomadic. And uh, some of you all know the long litany of incredible stories of the Lord's provision and what he did to, to teach me to need his voice, to hear his voice with clarity and to realize it's a very, very illogical and unbiblical reality to expect that I would have a relationship with a God that doesn't talk back. And I learned what it meant to hear his voice, to need his voice, and to obey it even when it seemed a little bit ludicrous. And it was really cool. It happened all, almost, I guess, on into my 30s a little bit. When I came home, I came back fairly belligerently. I didn't want to stop living in a van. I loved it. I came back here, and it was at the same time that the Lexington Prayer Room was being established. My buddy Tommy Green is the primary steward of that ministry, and it's been such a gift to me. But because of that, I get asked a lot, like, okay, Kurt, you're a pastor who spends a lot of time in prayer. You work part-time for a room where you literally pay rent on a piece of real estate for prayer, an activity that the Word of God tells us you can do anywhere at any time. So why pay rent? You know, And I think that's a fair question. Why pay rent 
on a prayer room. And I think it ends up, the answer to that question, I think ends up really answering a much bigger, deeper, and more important question. And it's why do we pray? And why would we spend a week on a Sunday morning inviting you and contending for you to say, God, whatever I've known of intimacy with you up to this point, may it look small compared to what's to come. When I traveled around in about 33 different countries over the course of, of that journey, and it was bizarre, and I did it all with no money. It was insane the way that the Lord would um, give provision. It was really cool watching that all come about. But what I ended up realizing by the end of it was he didn't want me to go out and live cool stories and like go on awesome road trips. Like the, the purpose, the heart behind it was all of that, the journey, the road trip, the living, all of that was bait. It was just the breadcrumbs by which he could get me to a place where I realized that there is no such thing as overvaluing intimacy. There's no such thing as putting too much importance on being as close to him as I possibly can. And what that resulted in was now when I have that conversation with people and they say, all right, why pay rent on real estate for a place devoted to prayer? Like why? Why not just, you can pray anywhere. Why set up a room and invite people for 20 days in a space that you could do the same thing at home? He's listening all the time. And that's actually part of the beauty of what intimacy with him looks like to me. But, I say all that to say, I've I've asked that question a lot, and I finally come to this really, really simple answer. And I don't know if I can come up with a better one. And I think the reason that I love prayer rooms is because places of prayer, seasons of prayer, intentional invitations to the people of God to pray end up doing this really beautiful supernatural work where they turn the space between your ears into a prayer room. And the reason that I love being part of a community of prayer, spaces of prayer, and the reason I think it is worth paying rent for real estate for a place devoted to prayer is because when we do, God gets talked to more. Now that sounds like the most elementary principle that I could ever, I mean, that sounds really basic. God gets talked to more. You know, I mean, like, really, that sounds just so simple. But I don't, I don't think there's going to be any theological reality more important. Prayer is not about you getting answers. It's about your father getting the privilege of reminding you that he's faithful in answering. Guys, fasting and all these things that we do to come close to him, they're not about us coming to some conclusion where, do you realize the purpose of you pursuing God is not you getting closer to God. You getting closer to God is the background noise. You getting closer to God is the residual effect of God being pursued. This is not about you. It's about him. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret 
will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So then, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or another way to say that is, there is nothing more important than your name. Especially not my name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Something I like to do in response to that little section is I'll pray to the Lord. I'll say, Lord, please don't love me so little that you bow to my whims over your will. You know, like, I, I love that we're about to sing a song here in a second. And the first line of the song about prayer is, don't just answer all the prayers I pray to you. And I love that. Lord gave this song to me a couple years back. And I, lo- I just love that thought. Like going to God and starting from the place saying, God, please don't answer my prayers unless my prayers are in line with your will because you know me better than I know me. And you love me more than I love me. And you have a capacity to care that makes my most caring moment look apathetic at best. And if I know that's true of you, please don't answer my prayers unless they are in line with your will in the things that heaven is praying. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Whew, that's a dangerous one. You ever thought about that? Every time I pray that, I'm like, actually, Lord, I'd like to edit that one. I know it's a bad idea to edit the Bible, but uh, that one, don't forgive me the way that I forgive others. Please forgive me better than that. You know? Like, please, please, not the way that I forgive. That'd be awful. Forgive me the way that you forgive. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're going to sing, and I'm going to invite you to sing with me. But to start off today, they devoted to, to what it means to be a people of prayer. I would contend for this. Why do we pray? Because for some reason, you right now have the undivided attention of heaven. Second Chronicles 16 says, The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the earth, looking for one whose heart is turned towards him. Isn't that crazy? Like, he's looking around the earth. Now, the beautiful thing about that is he knows. He, he doesn't have to look around and be like, oh, well, I'm just focusing on this one person right now. Like, no, he's, he's omnipotent, omnipresent, not stuck inside of time. There's no way for us to begin to understand him. And yet, he wants you to know that as his eyes run to and fro throughout the earth, what he's looking for is people whose hearts keep insisting on maintaining eye contact with him. So ask him, say, Lord, if you have given me the undivided attention of heaven, what does it look like for me to return the favor? It's the deepest theological reason I can come up with to contend for you guys to be a people that spend time with Jesus is because he asked you to. I mean, 
I'm sure there's ways to build a format around some bigger theological expressions and more impressive vocabulary. But honestly, guys, it just comes down to that. The insanity of the reality that God is more excited to be with you than you are about being with Him. If y'all wouldn't mind, just close your eyes, and I want that truth. I want you just to, like, camp out in it for a second. That God is more excited about being with you than you are about being with Him. Because in every way, He is getting the worst end of this deal. And Jesus, if you really are, if you are interested, if you are interested in being with us incessantly, if your word, if you really meant it when you said that your desire was for us to pray without ceasing, and I love that word that you've given me so frequently in my own prayer time, Lord, that if you call me to be a man who prays without ceasing, that can only be because you intend to be a father who listens without ceasing. Jesus, make us a people who make us a people who learn what it means to give you our undivided attention. So the next question that I want us to ask is when? When do we pray? And the answer is always, always and unceasing. Guys, how wild is that? That like, if he tells us to be a people who never stop praying, then what that means is that we have a father who has already promised on the front end of our lives to never stop listening. And I want to make sure that this is not the kind of truth that comes across like a guilt trip. You know, it doesn't come to you like, oh man, I just need to pray more. No. The beautiful thing is he's designed a system where like if you go to him and you're like, man, I just feel guilty. I need to pray more. You know what that's going to result in? Shame and less prayer. Every time. That's what that ends up resulting in. But if you go to him and you allow kindness to lead you to repentance and you rest in the fact that you are more loved than you are estimating, and that your father cannot wait for you to come to him. And that when you get there, it's not going to be, what took you so long? Why didn't you pray longer? That's just not who he is. That when you come before the father, you're always going to find the father who is more enthusiastic about listening to you than you're ever going to be about talking to him. You realize he's more excited about his will for your life than you are. You ever thought about that? Like... God is more excited about God's will for your life than you are. And if we know that, and if we know that he is more invested because he is invested by his blood, then that means you have his undivided attention. So the response is not to say, how can I schedule more time during my day? It's no. The only homework you could possibly have in response to this truth is sit back and let yourself be loved. Admit what the cross and the shed blood of Jesus 
and his resurrection from the dead means and intends for you. When Brady asked me, he asked me, what's the most important thing that like you want to contend for? Like for our people to be a people of prayer. I, just, I said, well, you know, one is just that like, just the simplicity of the fact that like God's more excited about being with us than we're about being with him. But the second thing that I kept coming back to was, I just wish, I just wish that people declared more and reminded each other more that he's just really fun to spend time with. Most of my life, I knew that prayer was good. I knew it was necessary. I knew that he listened and answered prayer. But for some reason, there just wasn't a lot of marketing behind the fact that he was so fun to be with. I've loved having the conversations the past couple weeks with people who said, I walked into this room thinking, how am I going to spend an hour in prayer? And then I get to the end of an hour and regret the fact that I didn't sign up for two because he's just so enjoyable to be around. Now, what I want to make sure you didn't hear me say was he should be enjoyable to be around. No, no, no. It's you have been handcrafted. You have been designed and your heart has been formed by a father who created you in such a way that the only thing that can possibly satisfy you is him. So in light of that, I just want us to sing into that for a second. We're just seeing this, that same line we sang a second ago. May I fall so in love with the name of Jesus that I forget my own. And Lord, as we do, Father, as we do, I pray. I pray, Lord, that you'll just remind us. Remind us of your love and light of the cross. Greater love has no one than this. The man laid down his life for his friends. And you've called us friends. And you've laid down your life for us. And you so love the world that you gave your only begotten son. And whoever believes in you not perish, but have everlasting life. have Brady come up and share here in just a little bit. Um, he's going to get a chance to just kind of pray over you guys and uh, celebrate the names of the Father. But as he comes, I, I want to kind of give you a word. Um, what, like, as we conclude today, as we get to have a response, and um, Psalm 85, verse 6 says this, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? I heard a phrase from the Lord years ago. Years ago it was, um, and I, I'll, I'll make that statement pretty regularly, like I heard the Lord. And what that means is, that means I had a thought that came into my head that seemed to be rather foreign from my own thoughts, and then it aligned with the Word of God. And when that happens, what Scripture seems to invite us to do is to call that God's voice. And what it doesn't invite us to do is to have any understanding of a relationship with the Father that would not involve knowing what it means to be a son or daughter who knows when their father is speaking to them. And so one day I was praying and I had this thought. It was, Kurt, I died for the privilege of watching you enjoy me. I died for the privilege of watching you enjoy me. And I thought, that's an interesting thought, Lord. You know, what, is, what does that mean? Like, 
for me to, to enjoy you. Because I, I know what it means to like worship him and glorify him. I got all those church words, but like just to be, to be a son or daughter that enjoys him. And I realize that that's not, that, that sounds like, oh, that's kind of like emotional. Or but then the more, the more you wrestle with the text of the word of God, you realize there is no such thing as emotionless love for your father. And I love this phrase, like, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? God, do a work in me. Stir me up to love and affection for you so that the result, the outcome, and the fruit is that you are rejoiced in. All right? I was, uh, I w- I was in India a number of years ago, and I was um, at a friend's kind of ministry um, ministry place. It was like out in the, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and they built this really cool like space for prayer. And they do conferences and things out there. Um, this guy's name is Richard Samuels. He's a really beautiful man of God. And he had he was kind of almost like the um, oh who who's the financial guy the financial piece Dave Ramsey. Okay, so he's kind of like almost like a has like a Dave Ramsey esque ministry in India. He like, but he primarily trains pastors is what it means to use their finances for the glory of God. So that's his main thing. But the more he did that, the more he realized that God was inviting him to be a person of prayer. And so he started like whittling down all the time he'd spend doing, doing this financial stuff and just to the point that he just spent hours and hours a day in prayer. Built this facility, had a space for prayer. And I showed up there one day and um, we were, you know, just doing some worship stuff. And, and he said, I'm, I'm glad you're here today. So we have a, we are actually fasting sleep tonight so that we can pray. And I was already pretty tired, so I was not nearly as excited about that as he was. And uh, he's like, yeah, we're going to have this all night of prayer. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I said, how long does it go? He said, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. He said, we do it once a month. I was like, okay, this is in the middle of the woods, Tamil Nadu, southern India. I said, I said that's cool. Do we just, is it just a general time of prayer? Is it like a prayer for your ministry? Like, is it a prayer for you know, the nation of India, what do, you, what do you pray for? He said, well, this is the once a month that we give up sleep and we pray through the night asking God for revival in America. And I'm sitting there, and you could tell they didn't plan this because I was going to be there. I just happened to show up. This is something that happened monthly. And they contended for revival in your nation. In my nation, the place that I sojourn here for a little while, and they gave up sleep. And they, he said that they gave up sleep because when, uh, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus invited the three disciples to pray with him, and he kept coming back to them after he had grieved and sweated, sweated blood during prayer um, for what he was going to do. When he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And then he went and he found his disciples, and they were sleeping. And he said, could you not wait one hour? And they said, we want to live in repentance for the disciples' unwillingness and inability to wait an hour that they chose sleep over prayer, so we will choose prayer over sleep. Whew. And I remember being like, goodness, that just rocked me. Like I realized, man, these people care so much for revival. They care so much to be people of prayer. And so I remember... Seeing them pray, I think I only stayed till like midnight, and then I was falling 
sleep in the back. Yeah, I know. I get it. I get the irony. I'll, I've repented for it. It's been a, lot, a number of years. All right, no guilt trips. But I was. Uh, I remember being in that setting and watching the. I mean, just and they were going after it. This wasn't like nice, sweet, sit in a chair. I mean, this was like up, getting rowdy, many people yelling all at once. You know, it was. Oh, it was awesome. And they're just contending, begging the Lord to do a work in this nation. And I remember coming home after that and thinking, Lord, what, what does it mean for me to be a man that lives in pursuit of that revival that they're praying for? What does it mean to be part of a community that invites one another up, that's willing to call each other up and call each other out? You know, that was a couple years later that uh, we got the Plant Commonwealth here in this place, in this setting. And, and it's been beautiful for me to even ask the Lord, like, man, what, Father, what, are we heading in that trajectory? If so, how can we throw some, some, you know, some fuel on that fire? If not, what are places we can repent? And even over the past couple of weeks, as we've been a little bit more intentional in our intercession, which is just a big fancy word for prayer, I've been talking to Brady a little bit more about I mean, I guess we're always kind of talking about revival and what it means and what it could look like and what it should look like. And he's been putting together just some prayers and things that he's really asking the Lord for you. And I wanted, I thought about that moment when I found out that this community on the other side of the world was giving up sleep and praying for me. That they were spending eight hours once a month through the night asking the Lord to do a work in, in the place I was called to. And there was something so sweet about that. Like just finding out I was prayed for. And I wanted you all to get to, as we finish today, I wanted you to kind of get to have a moment kind of like that. Where you find out the things that are being prayed over you. And uh, I think Brady's going to just, he's going to pray just the names of the Father and reminders Reminders of why we worship and who we worship. And we're going to have an altar call here in a second. And part of our altar call is going to be you just finding out some of the things that are prayed over you and inviting you in light of that, in light of who the Father is, in light of how loved you have been for us to be able to come and take communion and celebrate and ask the Father, what does it mean? What does it mean to leave this place? knowing that I'm called to live a lifestyle of prayer. If I sound a little winded, I just ran. As soon as I heard my name, I sprinted, and I'm a little out of breath, so I apologize in advance. But I do want to pray the names of the Father, but I also want to invite, instead of knowing just India, what India is praying for you, what I'm just praying for you, the elders, I do want to invite over the coming weeks for the rest of the month of January to know what Commonwealth's praying for Commonwealth. Like, I want to know what you're praying for your neighbor right next to you. I want to know truly what the Father's putting on your heart to pray for this local body. And I, uh, I was awoken a few nights ago, again, but it really started three weeks ago on just the topic of prayer and really praying for the church and what I would love to see happen in the year 2023. And I just want to go down this list and then one prayer that sticks out and giving reason. Why I just want to pray these things over you. Oh Lord, by the truth of your word and the power of your spirit and the ministry of your body, 
build men and women at Commonwealth City Church who do not have a love for the world more than you, who do not care if they make much money, who do not care if they own a house, who do not care if they have a new car or two cars, who do not need recent styles, who do not care if they get famous, who don't miss steak or fancy fare, or for Joel McDonald sandwiches, he told me to say, uh, who do not expect that life should be comfortable or easy, who do not feed their minds with endless entertainment instead of the throne room of God, who do not measure truth with the finger of the wind, who do not get paralyzed by others' disapproval, who do not return evil for evil, who do not hold grudges or gossip or twist truth or brag or boast, who do not whine for the point of body language to get pity, who do not criticize more than praise, hang out in cliques, eat too much or exercise too little, but who are ablaze for God, utterly God-besotted, heavily infatuated, filled with the Spirit, who strive to know height and depth of Christ's love, who are crucified to the world and dead to sin, who are purified by the word of God and addicted to righteousness, who are mighty in memorizing and using scripture, who are thrilled with the wonder of free grace, stunned in humble silence of the riches of God's glory, who are ruthless in self-denial, who are fearless in public witness and Christ's lordship, who are able to unmask air and blow away all doctrinal haze, who are touching the hurting, standing firm for truth. And the one thing that really gets me out of this entire list that was written by just one man for one congregation is God besotted. Like, I want to hear all your prayers that will be shared on a Google Doc, and I do want to hear the things you're praying for the body in general, the things you're praying for the nations, those who you're praying for salvation and intercession for healing. But ultimately, I want it just to leave with this, that we would be God-besotted. And if you don't know that word, neither did I until a week ago. And it means heavily infatuated and obsessed, that we would be heavily infatuated and obsessed with God's glory and the King of glory. And I just want to read these two texts, one's from the scriptures and one's just a, a quote from an old Puritan. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself. Where she sing, or where she may lay her young. At your house ever sing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are the highways of Zion. As they go before the valley of weeping, they make a place of springs. The early rain also covers its pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O God of hosts, hear our prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look at the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O oh, Lord of hosts, blesses the one who trusts in you. That ultimately I do want our prayer for commonwealth to be God besotting glory. That we would gaze upon the king of kings. And the thing that's described in the scripture to know that one day in his courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And I do want to just explain who we're seeking and it's Christ. That the one we're talking to, the one that we have all gazes on is Jesus. And what shall I say of this Christ? John Fable proclaims the excelling glory that objects, 
and dazzles all apprehension and swallows up all expression, when we have borrowed metaphors from every creature that has any excellency or lovely property in it, till we have stripped all creation bare of all of its ornaments and clothed Christ with all that glory, when we have even worn out our tongues in ascribing praise to him, alas, we have done nothing when all is done, and look often upon Christ in this glass. For he is fairer than the children of men. View him believingly and lovingly, for love, when it sees, cannot cast out the spirit of strength upon amiable objects that is love-worthy. For Christ is fairer than all these things. When we look to the sun, oh, fair sun, but oh, fair Christ. When we look to the moon, but oh, fair Christ. When we look upon fair stars and fair flowers and fair roses and fair lilies and fair creatures, but oh, ten thousand, thousand times fair Lord Jesus. And he says, alas, I have wronged in making this comparison this way. When we look at the sun, we must say, oh, black sun. When we look at the moon, we must say, oh, black moon. When we look at all of heaven, in its dazzling glory, we must say it's dark, terrible, and defiled compared to Christ's exceeding glory. And that is my prayer for commonwealth, that we may know the surpassing glory of Christ in every day and be satisfied and his awestruck, all-surpassing worth that would revive our dry, parched, and weary souls. The only reason we can be a people of prayer, the only reason that we can contend being those that seek the Father's heart, knowing that we've been pursued first by Him, is in light of His cross. The cross that belonged to you and belonged to me, but instead He died in our place. And in light of that, I now, in conclusion, get to invite you to remember remember his blood that was shed and his body that was broken and if you're here and as we talk about what it means to be people of prayer if that feels foreign to you if you're still trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing we got something way better for you than juice of bread we have the invitation that the Father extends to you to become a son or daughter by faith and repentance and what that means is is come before God and say God Please, in light of what you've done, I have faith that you shed your blood, that you rose from the dead. And because of that, that I have an invitation to be your friend forever. So, Lord, right now we bless this time. We bless this response. Most of all, Lord, I bless the people that you intend to recreate us into people who pray more today than we did yesterday and more tomorrow than we did today.